0: You're listening to the Apple Insider Podcast. Welcome to the Apple Insider Podcast, the only place you can hear myself and William Gallagher.
1: Yeah. And William Gallagher's is in a bad mood. That's oh whoa! That was third person, isn't it? Yeah, you know, Johnny, no mean to kill ducks. William is in a bad mood because yeah, you know, it's time to sell my iPhone, isn't it? I've got to get rid of Siri. This is all—it's all going horribly wrong. It has
0: all gone very horribly wrong. Hmm. But good news—you probably can do that. In, in any case, I want to set up. We've got an interview with a, a good friend of mine, Brian Romilly, who is a huge, huge proponent of of what I've been calling and what he's been calling voice first as an interface. And we talk all about Siri, Siri OS, and what's wrong with Apple listening to Siri recordings and why they don't need to
1: do it. Right. Oh, I've got to hear this interview. Excellent.
0: Yeah. So So buckle up. It's going to be a good one. I want to go ahead and and before we do that I just want to thank really quickly Omni Group because they've been so kind and sponsored this episode. OmniFocus is a professional to-do list manager that helps you accomplish more every day. That's their tagline. It's pretty awesome. So, so William, what are the benefits of OmniFocus?
1: Oh, how long have you got?
0: I got 3 seconds.
1: Uh, I started out this morning with 28 things I absolutely had to do and I went through OmniFocus reviewing what was actually important, what I could physically do, when I could do the other stuff and just by working the list in OmniFocus I went from a bit of a panicky start this morning to yes I've got this on top of it. I know I won't miss anything, I know everything will get done and in my head I am a hundred times calmer. Than was when I started. Right. That's what software can do. For there you go. So good. lower stress because OmniFocus remembers mm.
0: everything for you. Better planning because they make planning and reviewing easy and getting work done on time because it shows you what you need to do next. Now OmniFocus for the web shipped earlier this year. It's a browser based companion app to OmniFocus for Mac and iOS. So wherever there's a browser, you're in good shape. It's designed for laptop or desktop use, especially for people who use Windows or Linux or can't install software on their work Mac. And you get all the core features of OmniFocus. Actions, projects, tags, due dates, and more. And there are more features on the way. Forecast is in testing right now. Some yokel over at Apple Insider (laughs) wrote a review calling it unparalleled online software engineering. Who might that have been?
1: I like him or her, let's not judge, (laughs) let's not predict. (sighs) It is unparalleled, I think it's an amazing, I mean, it's just a web version, but you look at it and my lights, I mean, because I know OmniFocus so well, I've used it for years, I I genuinely head jolted at how much the web one looks like the Mac one, and I've said this to you before, it is the Mac one, it's just instead of your Mac, it's one of theirs in Seattle, I think they are. Uh, and you're accessing it for that amazing stuff and actually you just said that thing about uh, people who aren't allowed to install things on their work pcs and stuff i have a friend who desperately desperately needed a to-do app OmniFocus was clearly the best one but the greater portion of his time is spent on pcs uh so although he tried he had his ipad with him he tried doing it with it It just yeah, didn't work so it, he's abandoned and i don't even know what he went to now i don't i think he's struggling without something so i must remind him about the web one Coming out. Thank you. Yeah. To learn more, try it out, go to omnifocus.com.
0: Welcome to this segment of the Apple Insider Podcast. I'm Victor and joining me is Brian Romilly. Brian, you've you've talked for ages about voice first, the concept that voice is the first interface, is our most natural interface. And we've been talking about this this week especially people listening to voice first devices that is like uh, amazon alexa had people that were listening to recordings to try and improve accuracy of interpretation of recordings google has been said to do this and this week there was an article that talked about apple contractors not apple employees listening to recordings of people engaging siri so talk to me a little bit about the security implications for that and what we should know is going on.
2: Well, Victor, that's a lot going there. Well, first off, thank you for having me on the podcast. I am a, a fan of your work going back many years, and obviously we've, we've talked before, so it's really an honor to be here. Uh, let's see, how do we want to start this? I will start from the perspective of what we're trying to achieve by having a human being listen to the utterances that somebody would um, save and record in a sort of Siri type of setting. What are we trying to achieve? Well, in theory, and Apple has not been very clear since this story broke, what these individuals were listening for. In the story, as I read it, there were claims that missed of Siri were being recorded. There were incidences of uh, personal exchanges and intimate exchanges being recorded. And there were situational exchanges that seemed to be of a medical nature, HIPAA, uh, compliancy type of scenarios. I'm going to address this, taking this story at face value as true, and I have no personal knowledge of whether it's true or false. So we're going to go down the cascade of, of issues I have. The very first and primary issue I have is that these are not Apple employees under Apple's direct nexus. If, in fact, Apple is employing otherwise mechanical Turks, whether they're Amazon employees or whatever third parties or third party companies to do this work, it's fundamentally and absolutely regrettably a bad decision and it should change immediately. You must have in in, under any circumstance when you're listening in or you're encroaching upon the privacy and security of a, a person in the tech world, the nexus of that person, where they live, must be in the United States. Why? Because we must have legal remedies if something were to go wrong. And it, and it, and it reeks in a very dangerous setting that these people may be outside the, the confines of the United States code of nexus and laws directly. Obviously, indirectly, we can, we can do things. That's, that's one of the issues. The other issue, they're not Apple employees directly under Apple control and supervision. They're being supervised by a third-party company. That's fundamentally wrong. So let's put that aside, and that's wrong. And if this is, in fact, what Apple did, there is no excuse. They're one of the smartest, wealthiest technology companies on the planet who employ thousands and thousands of people. They can hire a manager and employees to do this job somewhere on an Apple campus in the United States or in the domicile of a country where that particular uh, voice transaction is taking place, if it's in Italy or, in, in, you know, Soviet Union,
0: whatever. They, they have uh, a local that, office. Presumably they can hire in their local office.
2: Yeah. And it should never cross the, If and again, I, I'll go into reasons why I don't think you ever need this, but it should never cross the borders of that particular country. For, for a lot of philosophical and legal reasons. That's, so that's fundamentally wrong. All right. Putting that aside, again, taking it at face value, I'm very disturbed by the sort of conversations that have been presented as being heard. I will deal with one primarily here first, and that's what I would call a mistrigger. That's where an invocation of siri had taken place conversation was clearly not um meant to be part of a siri exchange and right. it was recorded
0: it, it, if i say the word syria name of a country and the phone mishears me and decides to wake up siri the voice assistant exactly. that's that's a mistrigger. so let's
2: talk about this from a fundamental technological standpoint I'm working in my garage lab with Raspberry Pis and it's just me and a piggy bank and I can understand a mistrigger nearly 99% of the time with my devices. Um it does not take a whole lot of artificial intelligence scientists with a whole lot of you know mad calculations and machine learning to understand what a mistrigger sounds like. Um how do we know this? We know this because of context. And it's very important because people are going to start debating me already here. And I need you to understand that Apple owns context through the premise of the iOS device and what they are calling differential privacy. And again, it's their form of differential privacy. And we'll get into that because it's very important to this conversation. Um, when you have a missed trigger, you have prior context and post-context to that mistrigger, And what you can do before you send that envelope away to be listened to, right, if you demand that you must listen to it because you're trying to make things better, you know, the AI to get better, you look at the post-context, say, well, was there anything else that took place after that, after that transaction? That was gibberish. That Siri didn't understand. It didn't make any sense. They were talking about uh, S- Syrian cooking and um, and uh, the weather and 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 uh, you know the road conditions. And there was no overt question to sound like gibberish to a AI system that doesn't understand that particular context. Well, yeah, there was no other follow up. Okay, then we can reasonably conclude that that needs to be erased. There's nothing to analyze there. There's no reason to send that audio file outside of your device. So at that point, you can do that locally. It does not require, you know, uh, ninety cores <laughs> and uh, and 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 you know thousands of AI computers to figure this junk out. You can do this locally simply by looking at deep context with which Apple rightfully owns. Because of the privacy, because of the encryptions and things like that, you're giving it more context because it's not automatically sending everything into the cloud. This is why this is so befuddling to me is that Apple got themselves into this particular pattern. So you have, you have this situation where a sound file from a missed trigger was sent to a third party to listen to. To evaluate what? What are they evaluating? because Siri did not do any post-reaction, any follow-up, any other questions within minutes, microseconds, or whatever. Uh, you know, I-, I would use a time window. Uh, I-, I won't give away proprietary information that I use. Apple should pay me for it. But let's just say three minutes is a reasonably good time to assume that if, if you have a mistrigger trigger and then three minutes later there is another invocation of Siri, then they're probably not directly related unless the keywords are showing up again. And then you have to ask yourself, from, from a, a scientific research standpoint, do I really need to go back to that three minutes in time and see what that mistrigger was about, or do I just let it sit? I would say to fall on the sword of privacy and security by saying, no, that's, uh, let's keep the sanctity of that particular mistrigger alone Let's keep it alone and let's not bring it forth. Now let's say we now have a trigger and now we're moving into the next part of this. We have a word sequence where it might be, you know, I won't say it cause I can invocate Siri right now, but let's just say we invocate Siri and we ask, uh, the weather in, um, uh, in Manhattan and, um, uh, Let's just say you happen, and again, it should be contextual, and if if it here is Manhattan and you're in California, it could mean, do you mean Manhattan Beach? Or if you happen to be East Coast, maybe Manhattan as in New York City. You could ask that, or you could just derive that context. That's more about context. Where am I right now? That's location. So you have that context. Um, what were the preceding Uh, Syrian vocations, nothing. It was kind of out of the blue. You can do other things. What time of day is it? Are you going on vacation? You can look at calendars. There's a lot of things that Apple owns in context that can inform. This is what I talk about, high contextual. You don't need general AI to figure this stuff out. You just need to have more context. As you get more context, you can be more exacting in your answers. So now let's just say it didn't give you Manhattan it gave you um, uh, the closest manhole or something. I can't say that these days. Uh, I don't know. Let's come up with something else. Give me something else. Uh, um, uh, what's the weather? It gives you that response. Well, now you might want to say, "Gosh, that was a bad uh, that was a bad reaction for Siri that it gave the weather when." Uh, The general weather for where you are now, like right here, uh, it's uh, in, um, I don't know, uh, Miami Beach, Florida, instead of Manhattan. Why did it do that? Well, we could go back and we could say, okay, we know it said the word weather. We know this person said weather. Do we need to send the recording of weather to anybody to analyze? And again, I'm not saying I agree with anybody needing to hear this. No, we don't. No, we don't. See, th- we can break down uh, any series of invocations and commands into a sequence. And we could say, what is the operational parts of that? What did we get right and what did we get wrong? And I say, well, Brian, well, maybe maybe we got weather wrong. No, probably not, because we could probably go back into that person's device and understand that we got weather right 100% of the time. We can assign a score to the word weather because it's used a lot. See, you don't need a human being to hear the word weather if it's got a score of 100% or 92% or whatever, right? So now we have Manhattan versus Miami, or not figuring out if it's local. You know, you said Miami, but it gave you the local weather. Well, what happened? Well, there could have been a structural breakdown in Siri, and it defaulted to local weather because it didn't understand what you meant by the word Manhattan. Interesting. Now we have just one word that we can perhaps listen to. And let's just say we'll make it complicated, and that was said with a deep uh, Greek accent. Whatever that might sound like, I'm not good at making Greek accents. So now that happens to be U.S., and let's just say we agree that maybe a human being can review that particular word. That's all they need to hear. They don't need to hear the other context. All they can get is other context is 100% or 90% or assured. They don't need to hear it. The machine is already telling them that they're sure about the other context. Now we're unsure about one particular word. Notice we're not hearing a conversation. Notice we're not talking about a sequence of words. We're talking about a single word. Now, AI scientists will, again, they're yelling right now and arguing with me. Oh, no, Brian, you need to hear everything. No, you don't. You need to hear only the things you need to hear when you need to hear them if you're not doing it right to begin with anyway. The right way to handle this, I'll now transition into the to the right Thank way you. of handling it is not listening to anybody's words at all. Uh, using the device, using what Apple has put out there as differential privacy, which you have two patents, the one that I'll address and I think I gave you a link to, it's called patent number 9,594,700, uh, as far as 9,500 Thousand ninety four seven hundred and forty one. It's called learning new words.
0: <laughs> nine five system nine twenty seven forty one.
2: Yes, I, I, I gave you the link for that. Yes, it's called system and methods are disclosed for a server learning new words generated by user client devices in a crowdsourced manner while maintaining local differential privacy of client devices. This is one, not the only of Apple patents that I will address that Apple could have used filed in September 24th, 19, uh, 2016 uh, patent granted uh, March 14th, 2017. This particular patent uses uh, Apple's form of differential privacy, which allows a sort of scoring system to be used, um, you know, uh, to essentially have an assurance that a particular outcome was achieved. And they can do that by mixing, let's call semi-anonymous and fully anonymous user data with public data along with uh, randomized data to allow Apple to utilize the elements of machine learning to try to understand the artificial intelligence response for that particular scenario. In this case, words, you can do this with imagery imagery. We can do it with, um, uh, you know, people's medical, uh, bio and, 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 uh, biosensors and things of that nature. But I'm going to focus primarily in words. They also did it in, um, a patent called emoji frequency detection and deep link frequency, a, a link I've also sent you, which also uses a differential privacy sketch, uh, to try to understand how people use emoji and how to suggest emoji when somebody is typing in real time, otherwise known as Siri suggestions. This is using the power of the cloud in a way that is utterly private to the individual. So now we have two Apple patents and there are a dozen others, and there's also precautions that one could use uh, that, is based around differential privacy, but I, I use uh, much more for my own devices. I use a much more complex form of privacy. Uh, differential uh, scoring systems that they use are usually for Apple in the 20 to 40 uh, range. You know, I'm more in the one or two range. And I can't get into that because of time, but people who want to study differential privacy and what Apple's doing. Uh, they really need to move their differential privacy numbers lower. Uh, In either case, what Apple could have done is could have used elements of differential privacy to score uh, these misses on words and to take this um, data, these particular data sets, and come to a much better outcome of probability By mixing this data with other misses under the same contextual situations. You know, let's let's call this particular contextual situation the ontology is weather. And what we got wrong is the location or the intent of what weather you wanted. And let's just say that we have in Apple system at any given time 9,277 people with a Greek accent saying Manhattan. And we put all that together in a differential privacy structure. We now can create a model that can understand that. No human being needs to hear that word. What's a human looking for when they're hearing that word? They're trying to listen to the nuances that were not detected by the machine. So it's, it's, it's sort of a cheat build the machine better or use the systems you already have in a better way. And you don't need to have a human being listen to it. And, this is, this is my thesis on it, uh, Victor, uh, in, in in a nutshell. Does it make sense?
0: It does. Tell me about Siri OS, because you've, you've talked about that. You've used that name. We've used that name on the show in the past. And now a venture capitalist, not too long ago, also used that name. What does that mean to you? Wow, that's a great question.
2: Thanks. Um, uh, let me just put a, one one cap on that last thing that we we're talking about. Yeah. If people really want to study the differential privacy and the scoring, study the Epsilon problem, Epsilon, um, and how Apple is dealing with it and the resurgence guarantees. Uh, These are things that are going to really come up now that Apple's been exposed. Whether, again, there's truth or falsehood to this, Apple's going to have to come around to it. Now, to the wonderful question of Siri OS. Why do we need Siri OS? Well, we're moving on a fairly regular 10 to 12-year cycle of user interface changes. And uh, I have a interesting chart I put out that shows that user interfaces change on a regular cycle on, uh, on this uh, frequency. Command inters- prompt,
0: keyboard, touchscreen, and now voice, uh, right?
2: Hyper- hypertext, uh, touchscreen, Yeah, and, 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 and voice is, is the next logical conclusion. It also happens to be the one with the highest throughput and bandwidth. I put out a tweet the other day that shows that the average person can speak 150 words per minute, but they can only type at best with full, uh, 10 finger typing about 50, 60 words per minute and thumb clawing, clawing at a glass screen, probably more like 22 words per, uh, uh, per minute. And, uh, and then even with the help of Siri suggestions, not doing very well. Um, obviously humans are not designed to type nor will we evolve the skill set in any to anybody's lifetime uh, i would say it would probably take maybe between 3 and 600 generations for us to be overtly optimized to thumb clawing at a glass screen and somehow i think we might move past that technology so the keyboard is a transient technology that existed for one reason only the computer could not understand human speech it was not powerful enough the computer is now powerful enough to understand human speech it's not powerful enough to understand on a grand scale x x every possible conversation any human could ever have with any device but what it can do is understand the intents of about 90% of conversations humans would have Uh, with a device and that's through context the higher the context you have the higher the likelihood the machine is going to understand what you meant so you don't have to create a black box some kind of touring experiment uh, for us nerds to get all excited over that i have a black box that will understand anything you say with no context well you know i have a black box called the human being that doesn't understand everything everybody says under all contexts you need context context. that's right Humans need context to understand anything. It's called word relativity. And then even when, like you said, we do have context, Victor, we still don't necessarily understand. It's one of the reasons why we're, we're, we have uh, you know our bam-bam you know, bats out and we're hitting each other over the head, uh, over the internet, because some person's ironic humor might be another person's hurtful speech. Uh, you know, We're living in a world uh, where people cannot express themselves through their voice and through their face. I'm not voice only, I'm voice first. Voice is an expressive communication system, but so are the 41 muscles and the micro-movements of the muscles of her face and the gesticulations of her body and her movements. So this crude proxy of communication uh, of of text has not served us very well. It's a great archival system. That is no no doubt. For archiving information, text is awesome. But for communicating ideas... And knowledge in real time, it's it's a, a shadow of what a couple of words can do.
0: All right, okay, so that's we why we want a serials. But but what is so,
2: a S? A A OS is based on the, the first order premise that the inputs and outputs will be words, and these words will be organized as humans organize words and sentences, not in a structural way as computers. You and I have been trained to organize our Interactions with computers within menu structures, hyperlinks, buttons, and other syntax. things that are no longer Specific syntax. Exactly. And we forget that we've been syntactically trained to work a, a certain computer layout. I'll give you an example. We're still now thumb-clawing at a QWERTY keyboard invented in the late 1800s for one purpose only. Not so that keys don't get stuck together on a mechanical typewriter. It's so that the Remington company could type the word typewriter faster than their competitors because they put it all on one line. (laughs) That's the only reason. And I wrote a piece on Quora. It's now in Forbes and it's a few other places. It's now in the Library of Congress. I'm so blessed. Library of Congress has put it into their permanent collection, apparently printed. The real reason And a lot of history books are going to need to be changed. I did the research. I actually found the uh, research materials. Was to program us later on, uh, the uh, Remington Company. It's not a conspiracy. It's this business. They they programmed us to do touch typing, the home keys. Mm -hmm. For about 20 years, the typewriter had no touch typist. It was Hunt and Peck. That's why typewriter was on one line, is because they were sort of like, they were able to try it. Try to type typewriter real quick and practice it over and over with 10, uh, uh, you know, let's call it eight fingers at least. You can do it very quickly. So when you were trying to sell an office on giving up handwriting and using your particular keyboard, because there are about 90 different varieties of keyboard layouts, but you patented the Remington layout. Oh, Remington bought it. It was another gentleman that patented it. He la- later sold to Remington. But you patented this particular layout. Of course, you want your proprietary keyboard to be the one that's learned. So they created the touch typing system, which FDSA and HJKL are your home keys. And then you can now blindly type a memorized keyboard in your head. That's the first human software programming that we've, you know, done on a mass scale. And now we're doing it obviously with menus, gestures, browsers, and all the other things that we're used to. But that was the first version of that. And I and, and if you don't think it's a big deal, go in and rearrange somebody's keyboard for them, and see how quickly that annoys them. Nightmares, even if they're thumb crawling, you know. On, 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 on. So. That is the reason it's there. And then Remington throws it by creating the touch typing and seeding that through the YWCA. YWCA was giving free typing courses to women to put them in the workforce, uh, especially in World War I and World War II. This is just the way things happen in history, folks. I didn't create the secretary. That's what they did. And so secretaries learned one keyboard. Therefore, they only demanded the Remington typewriter and in 2019, you and I are thumb clawing at a glass screen arranged in the QWERTY fashion because of that little quirk of history. So, is that the most effective way to get information in a computer? No, it is a legacy way that people are clinging to because they know no other way, and then they disavow the the action of the voice as an input mechanism because. Oh, it's embarrassing to speak in public. Well, you know, last time I saw a lot of people talk in public and, you know, for unfortunately a lot of the period before texting, people used to talk on their cell phone in public, pretty uninhibited. Oh, it doesn't work in the open office formats. Well, you know, everybody's got their headphones on anyway. Who cares? Uh, you know, there's a lot of, the, and oh, well, I'll just type it. Go ahead. Nobody's stopping you from typing. If you don't want to use your voice, it's not voice only. Go and type it. What I'm talking about is that we're seeing the decline of the app. We're seeing the decline of the formatted user interface. We're seeing the decline of menus, buttons, and other, you know, things that come from that ancient era. And so you need an operating system built on the first order premises of this new era. You can't just retrograde an operating system as an overlay to, you know, oh, you know, um, you know, Siri. Press menu button one. Uh, hit return key. Uh, press this. Uh, you know, scroll down. No, that's not what I'm talking about. That's voice control of an existing mechanical user interface, and it's the furthest of what I'm talking about. I'm talking about a system whose input is voice, whose output could be voice, or the production of work. The output isn't always voice. The output of almost everything we do on a computer is production of work, work to be done. So when we go and we do a search, the output isn't really text. It is the results of that search that produce text that you must read. But do you need to read it? No. What if your highly contextual assistant reads it for you? And what if your highly contextual assistant that's local and not in a cloud because it has a lot of highly contextual insights about you tells you what is important and after a period of time you not only give agency to that assistant you become trusting of that assistant because it's deserved that trust because it's not in the cloud and it's local and it's on your device and it's given you good results just like you trust a significant other or a friend or the bus driver hey do you trust a guy you never met this guy he's your bus driver he's taking you 75 miles an hour down a road you trust him He's operating a a mechanical device that could run off the road. You trust him. We give trust and agency to things, but we give it under limited control. And that's what the premise of a voice operating system is, is to build the agents that go out into the internet and come back. And you get to either trust the result of that agent or you distrust that agent. And if you distrust it enough, it no longer is used that particular agent or that particular system gets pruned from the tree branch and the things that are useful to you start working for you. You can only do that if you build the operating system from the first order premise that what humans do in the world is to get work done. They're not there to necessarily waste time. And what I mean by that is if, if you're looking at cat pictures on Facebook, some, some folks may see that as a waste of time. I see it as work to get done. If your work to get done is to see cat pictures, go at it. But I can optimize that much better through a voice mechanism with intelligence than through a mechanical system. And when you, when you finally see it through those lenses, then you start realizing the device itself becomes irrelevant. It's a conduit the device runs through. Everything becomes dumb pipes, essentially, in Steve Jobs vernacular. The phone company became dumb pipes to the iPhone. The device, the iPhone, is going to be dumb pipes to the voice assistant, to the true voice assistant. We don't have one today in the public markets. Siri, Alexa, Katana, none of these are true voice assistants. They're front ends to mechanical systems in some cases, and in other cases, front ends to uh, non-contextual AI, non-highly personally contextual AI. Even Google has very low personal context. thank God. Um And, and so when we talk about a voice OS, we start saying, okay, then if that's what it's doing, if work is to be done, then we need to analyze what work we do do every day on our devices. What's the weather? I can do that. in what the weather three words, try that with your thumb crawling on a glass screen. I can do it in three words and I can get a response. Oh, that's easy. Yeah, well, the first Apple II was sold on balancing your checkbooks and organizing your recipes. I don't believe Steve's vision was complete until 2008, when the iPhone was pretty much in popular. 2007, of course, but 2008 when it was really in people's right. pockets. iOS
0: 1.2 or 2.0, and it was yeah, yeah it when the App Store started
2: coming around. Yeah. So, what are apps? Apps are time slices to information. What is information? Information is a work product from work to be done. So when you start seeing it, you start seeing, well, hold it. Really, all apps are doing is reorganizing information in a way that I want it. But why do I need to download an app? Why do I need to download a skill? Why do I need to invoke something? Why can't I just have a conversation? Well, it's not here yet. Well, I don't know who's telling you this. It's here. I'm doing it in my garage. Apple can do it tomorrow. You can have full dialogues with this system with any system if you build enough context. But here's the problem. It's a double-edged sword. The more context you give an artificial intelligence system, a voice-first device or a voice OS, the more privacy and security you're giving up, more than you've ever done in your entire life. In, in the space of six months, eight months maximum, I can know everything you've ever done or will want to do on a computer, Right? And I can predict what you're going to want to do. I I don't need to invent anything new. I don't need AGI. You have people running around saying, oh, Brian, I'm I'm an analyst. I've talked to AI experts. You need AGI to do that. That's bullshit. That's a scientific term. All you need is context. The human being has 75,000 thoughts per day. 90% of them are the exact same thoughts that you had yesterday. In that 10% is a variable. If I analyze what you do every day on a computer with permission and it's highly secured and it's highly local and it's not in a cloud and nobody can ever hack it, I can pretty much predict what you're going to do tomorrow. It doesn't require X guessing everything you could possibly say. All we need to do is reduce it down to the logical conclusions. And if it gets it wrong, no big deal. It learns just like a kid. You train artificial intelligence like you train a child with relatively the same outcome. It's an investment of time that will pay back dividends over decades. But it can't be in the cloud. It can't be listened to by third parties. It can't be manhandled and and proliferated by governments or other entities that are curious. It can't. Or you and I won't give up that context and this system won't work. Or if we do give up that context I don't want to live in that world because I don't want to live in a world where you, your wife, your children, my children, my wife, my mom, my grandmom, all their contacts is floating around in the cloud for somebody to parouse, including their medical information, their personal uh, affectional information that apparently Apple has released to the public or at least one person. No, you can't do that. So it gets back to the privacy. First order of premises of this world that we are going into whether anybody listening to me wants to believe this it's like believing gravity or the sun or you know nuclear radiation i can't see it it doesn't hurt me you know whatever this is a manifest destiny of humanity i didn't make it up i'm am an observer of it and and you know i, I may sound arrogant it's it's like I throw a ball up. Am I arrogant that it's going to hit the ground? I mean, observation, enough observation, you know where it's going. The, the, the direction that humans are going to go is not thumb clawing into a glass screen or wearing a feed bag over their eyeballs and waving their hands around the air. They're going to be talking. We'll get over this little hump in, in historical times of, uh, of thinking that we need to type each word one letter at a time when we don't think in letters. Victor, do you think in a letter? I don't think in a letter.
0: Brian, I I I have to cut you off here. Yeah. (laughs) I want to thank you very much for taking the time to speak with me. This has been great. And I hope we get to do it again soon.
2: Yeah, we should do a part two because there's a lot more to serial I'd love to talk
0: about. Well, we'll do that. Thank you so much. So I want to thank Brian for being on the show. That was awesome. And, And William, let's talk about the Apple earnings call
1: briefly. Well, I, yeah, we must do that. But that was really interesting. I, do. I love it when you get things like this. So we, had, we could talk about OmniFocus at the start. We had the great interview. I'm having a great time, and you want to sour it now by talking about how Apple is doomed. Doomed. No? Apple are so doomed.
0: You know how doomed they are?
1: Uh, is it somewhere between very and it's all over already? What are we talking about them for?
0: It's entirely over. Give up. No, Apple has earned 53.8
1: billion
0: in revenue in record-setting third quarter. I mean, 53.8 billion in a quarter.
1: Yeah, any other company in the world, um, that would be the headline, but it isn't because it's Apple. That's that's like four Facebooks in a year. Right. I'd have to save up for months to come close to that. So Well, clearly yes, you're not so. working
0: up to your potential. Maybe you need to use OmniFocus more. There you
1: go.
0: <laughs> <laughs> Other Omni products
1: are available. Omni Outline, by
0: the way. I'm, Gorgeous. I'm All disappointed right. in you, William. You really need to be doing a little bit more than that. I mean, you're not even earning enough to count as, as being one segment of wearables.
1: no but of all the things to be disappointed in me about that's the one you pick i'll take that yeah i
0: mean the wearables Um, revenue jumped over 5.5 billion in the june quarter wearables home accessories jumped year over year to 5.53 billion
1: yeah but you say that like it's a good thing and really wiser heads than mine are saying no this is it
0: yeah well they're wrong
1: fair enough. Allow me to
0: explain. Please. Years ago, people wore Bluetooth headsets and generally looked like fools doing it. There was an old Wired magazine cover that had a picture of Brad Pitt wearing a Bluetooth earpiece, and the headline was, if he can't make this look cool, you never will. (laughs) Or something to that effect. Basically, if Brad Pitt can't pull off a Bluetooth headset, neither can you. And what we've seen is, since the launch of AirPods first generation, second generation, that we we have people walking around wearing AirPods. Never mind that initially people said they look goofy. It's happening. It's a thing. People do it. It's totally become accepted.
1: I think you're ignoring the groundbreaking work of uh, Lieutenant Uhura in Star Trek. And, yeah, but the principle's the same, yes. She made it look cool in the 60s. Well, uh,
0: you know, if okay. you want to go back to that, we can talk about the, uh, the communicator where you had to flip to open, and we got flip phones eventually. And if, if you want to talk about a direct line of influence, you want to talk to things like Star Trek Next Generation, where there was an episode with Lieutenant Commander Data playing multiple pieces of music all at the same time, and Apple engineers watched the episode and said, wait a minute, why can't we do that? And invented QuickTime.
1: I'm just glad that we finally got transported. Oh, sorry, that's next year.
0: Yeah, uh, <clears throat> <clears throat> that's yeah. in private beta, and you've just violated <laughs> your non-disclosure agreement, William?
1: <laughs> yes. <laughs> it's seriously, that. Okay, Apple has all of this money, all of this news, but the key thing is the iPhone is selling fewer than it did uh, before, and that is true. All right,
0: all right, yes. hold on, hold on. Let's talk about what fewer means. First of all, fewer is sales <laughs> are down 13%.
1: Yes, that's what year I on mean. Year. They sold this much. They don't sell as many. They've sold fewer. I mean, I, I have trouble with a lot of statistical things, but this one, I'm on the money with that one. Yeah. All
0: right, 13%. Yes. Year on year. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Going into the period where everyone's got expectations for a new iPhone.
1: Oh, you're going to throw figures at me now and I won't cope. Yes, okay. Uh. Yep,
0: it's... And you know given the the sort of tick-tock cycle that we talked about being broken it seems like it's back in swing because we had the uh, the iPhone 10 and people waiting to see what came next which was the iPhone 10s 10s max and 10r and now we're we're on what's going to be basically the second version of the 10r for lack of a better word it'd be the s year and yeah. so the question is did people spring for the 10 10r and and 10s in number that they don't necessarily need to buy this phone coming up or that they're just holding off in advance of the new phone coming up which would make complete sense wouldn't it
1: it would uh there was a mention tim Cook made a mention in the earnings call about uh certain types of businesses planning to buy uh phones it sounded like it was before the new ones come out so i don't know what goes on with bulk purchasing in corporations but for individuals yeah i wouldn't buy an iphone today
0: Well, so one of the things that Apple has traditionally been very good at is stock clearing, so that when they are ready to launch a new model, there are almost none of the old model available. And what he's suggesting by that, I suspect, is that they have arrangements with corporate customers to buy up a large amount of that stock, probably at a discounted price, so that they aren't left with a lot of old phones on hand.
1: That makes sense, yes. Okay, so you're not that fussed about the thirteen percent drop. No. All right. Okay. Now, what about this other figure—the well, the fact that it's below fifty percent of Apple revenue? Do you care about that? Because well, actually,
0: I, I want to talk about that, but we should talk about something else in light of that. Mm-hmm. Apple's services revenue oh, is yes, yes, up thirteen percent to eleven point five billion.
1: Yes. Wait, that's two different 13%s. They must cancel each other out. Haha. That's not Math how boy here. I mean, is that how percentages work? <laughs> uh, well, according to some articles that I've been reading, probably yes. Yeah.
0: I don't think so. I mean, when when we say something's up 13%, it's up 13% yeah. in relation to what it was a year ago. So services a year ago was 13% less than it is today. That's not the same
1: 13% as the iPhone sales down year over year. You're just applying sense to it. And and I don't see why you should do that when not everybody else does. So, yeah.
0: Okay, but but let's get to the point here, which you started to raise. And that is iPhone sales are down, accounting for, what, less than half the company's total quarterly revenue. And services are up. So there's a yes. shift taking place. Now, you think that's doom and gloom.
1: No, I'm being told it's doom and gloom. I think it's completely fine. Fact you you realize when you say really. this is
0: fine that you are the dog sipping coffee sitting amongst a house on fire. Uh,
1: there's there's a meme. There's a meme,
0: <laughs> but the, the idea is that the house is on fire and, and you're sitting drinking coffee saying, this is fine, this is fine.
1: So the question is, oh, is the like, house going uh, rearranging fire? deck chairs on the Titanic, that kind of yeah, uh, yeah, argument. All yeah. Oh, right. Okay. Okay. Well, all right. I feel endangered, but um, help me. <laughs> okay. Well, so I think this
0: actually is fine. I think this is not a crisis. For years, people said too much of Apple's revenue comes from iPhone. What happens mm. when we reach peak iPhone? What happens when, when iPhone sales level off? When we've sold as many as we're going to sell and the market's saturated and that's it, what do you do? And Tim Cook said, well, we've got these services we're working on. And everyone said, yeah, 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 you got your services. But what happens when it happens to PPC iPhone? You're going to die, hmm. right? Because that's all you're going to sell and the sales are going to drop and you won't have anything else. And that's that. Well, what this shows us is that Apple is taking steps to make sure that the iPhone is not the one thing that can make or break the company. Now, people will say, and they're right to say this, Apple hasn't introduced a new revolutionary product since the iPhone or iPad, right? Where, where, where are the great revolutionary products like these things that, that we don't have? You know what's what's so, the next thing that breaks the whole thing open? And okay, I just
1: need to cover the ears of my Apple Watch and my HomePod for a minute while you talk about this. Okay. Yes.
0: Your your HomePod. Yes. Is driven by Siri. Is yes. and is is in some ways quite dumb. So, so you better we... cover its ears for a moment because your HomePod has difficulty understanding. When different people are speaking, and how to address those different people, and and associate, say their different iMessage or email or calendar accounts with them. Um, your HomePod isn't really very good
1: at setting multiple timers. Um, it, HomePod, don't listen to the nasty man. It's just you and me. We're friends. Okay, your, it's all right.
0: Your You're a HomePod. When you use it connected to Apple TV, if your Apple TV goes to sleep and it disconnects, doesn't necessarily want to reconnect on uh, on waking the Apple TV back up. There are a lot of right. rough spots about HomePod that need to be improved. There are a lot of rough spots about Apple Watch, although it's becoming much better. They are not the kinds of things people have in mind when they talk about introduce. where's the next iPhone? Where's the next product that's going to break things open the way iPhone did? And, you know, as, as Brian on our, our interview segment talked about, it's not the idea of VR or AR glasses, either because wearing those around is not going to happen, according to him. The the thing that I think is hidden in there is that Siri has to get better. And if Siri gets better, then your HomePod becomes quite smart. But we're not there yet. What's happening is that Apple's got services, and and those services include Siri, those services include things like iCloud, those services are going to include Apple TV channels. Apple TV Plus. They're going to include arcade. And all of those things are are going to help in terms of balancing these things so that one item cannot take down the company. The the other and, and Apple card should be included in that too at some point. Apple card is launching mm. this August. The thing that I I think we need to take away from this is that Apple has basically turned hardware into a subscription model. That is, you've got your your iPhone. You like your iPhone. You're probably not going to switch away from your iPhone. And when a new one comes, either the next generation or a couple of generations down the road, you will switch. You will upgrade to the new phone. And so that is a very strong thing. Maybe they're not growing in terms of user share percentage, but they are absolutely maintaining that level of installed base. And I would are selling like services to on top of that. that.
1: You have a very commanding so that you will upgrade to the new phone. Join us. Join us. Anyway, so there you go. Uh, what you yeah. can't see mm. through
0: the microphone is the hand wave as I do that. You will join. <laughs> you will upgrade. Yeah. <laughs>
1: <laughs> right. Okay. So where does that leave us? Um, everything's absolutely fine at Apple.
0: I think where that leaves us is that we have an interesting model that that is working for Apple that is going to continue to bear fruit and that I think Wall Street is going to inevitably have to take a couple of cycles to catch up. You know, they were very doom and gloom on sales being down for iPhone and sales being down for iPhone. Now that iPhone accounts for less than half of the company's revenue, it's – and and I should say quarterly revenue for this quarter because obviously the next quarter where iPhone launches anew is going to be up. But um, that's, that's the thing, is, is that the company is probably in a very healthy state.
1: So you don't feel we should be uh, suggesting to people that they join us next week on the Windows Insider podcast instead? The Windows Insider
0: podcast, where we cover the differences between Build 1803 and 1903 <laughs> and why Mike Worthley is stuck on Build 1803. Yeah, <laughs> I, I mean, we could. Yeah,
1: we're not going to though, or at least um, I'm suddenly unavailable. <laughs> okay.
0: Or or why why one of our writers had to break his workday yesterday for forty five minutes to go back to a restore point because yes, Windows was I acting flaky and we didn't know exactly why. Now restore points exist. I'm glad they're they're very useful when they work. They're very useful when some malware hasn't wiped out your previous restore points. You can't restore back, but uh, again, nightmares.
1: I actually hadn't heard that term till he mentioned it going through. So it sounds like it's a good feature. They,
0: they've been doing this for years where they periodically, every time you install a piece of software, every time you do uh, something that changes the system configuration, they save a restore point so you can go all back. They also do this maybe weekly. and. Cool. Yeah. When you roll back, you don't lose your user data. You just lose those installed programs or software updates. So you have to to go through and figure out what's changed. And the new version of restore point restoration that's in Windows 10, and I say new because I remember what it was like in Windows 7, is that they list the things that are going to be impacted. And so you write down on a piece of paper the list, and then you go ahead and roll back the restore point and then reinstall those pieces of software or reconfigure them to get them back up to date.
1: No, Sorry. you had me, and then you you went too far. You saw, this now reminds me of Microsoft Word. It has that fantastic feature of recovering your lost documents, and you just wish they'd put some money into not losing the documents in the first place. Yes, yeah, so uh, yeah. I'm less impressed.
0: Well, I mean, it's this, good but, that it exists, but yeah. that's all the time we have for now on the Windows Insider podcast. Thank you so much. William, where can people find you on the internet?
1: I am going to be twitching about this whole windows insider idea for a week at w gallagher on twitter and on william at appleinsider.com i'm v
0: marks on twitter victor at appleinsider.com thank you so much for joining and sticking with us and we hope you'll be back next week